I am Matt Keeks, and uh, here with with, with the, the the infamous Brando. What's up? So uh, this is the first episode. So to set the scene a little bit, what we're looking to do here is every band and artist that has been around for a little bit has an album that's typically considered a misstep. So when you you know when you're getting into these bands, somebody that's already familiar with them will say, "Hey, everything's great except for that one album." So the entire idea behind this podcast is we're going back, we're going to give a second look at all these albums, uh, some of them for the first time because we might not have even heard them until now, mm-hmm. and uh, give you our honest take on it and basically look at it through the lens of history and see if it's if it's worth a listen to or, or, or not. Yeah, great way of breaking it down. And when I saw the list that uh, Matt had in mind for these albums, it was funny because it was a lot of my favorite bands, but like you said, some of the albums I had... Um, I'd listened to once or twice, you know, but I'd never taken a deep dive in. Some of them, I don't think either one of us have even heard, but we wanted to start off with an album um, from a band that we both love and respect, Aerosmith, and that album is Rock in a Hard Place from 1982. So, Rock in a Hard Place is an interesting album because <laughs> it's actually, uh, it's, it's the only album in Aerosmith history that does not feature Joe Perry mm. in any capacity. Um, it also does not feature, uh, Brad Whitford, Brad Whitford, who actually only recorded one song on it and then left. So it's very unique in that it only has three original members of Aerosmith. You're right, right. Um, yeah, crazy record, man. Um, I listened to it last night to get ready for this and <laughs> it was interesting. You know, at first I was like, hey, this isn't that bad. And then, um, you know, we'll, we'll get to what occurred next, but. As you said, um, no Brad Woodford, no Joe Perry, and as an Aerosmith lover, everybody knows that um, Perry sprinkles the solos all over the place. He's the spice that really kind of drives a lot of Aerosmith songs. Um, so it's funny that he's not on this, and it's also noticeable there aren't many guitar solos on this album. Yeah, I noticed that almost immediately, and uh, from a production standpoint, <laughs> when they when they are there, they seem to be in the yeah. background. They're not they're not at the forefront. Right. Uh, usually Perry's leads are super up front in the mix. Definitely, definitely a good call. And you know what's funny is you mentioned the production, so let's talk about that. Um, the budget for Rock in a Hard Place, Aerosmith. Um, I won't ask you what it is because we discussed it earlier, but it, $1.5 million uh, went into production, Rock in a Hard Place. And all that I can hear that they really got right was... Um, Actually, they didn't get it right. It's just the hi-hats are insanely loud. The cymbals are just super loud. Um, that caught me off guard with this album. It's definitely a drummer's album. I, I mean, well, if, if I'm a drummer and I'm looking at this mix, I'm, I'm probably like, oh, this is, <laughs> this this is, is, this is the this big is moment. Like. Yeah. Um, Crazy hi-hats. It's, uh, it's yeah. interesting. I mean, on, on the whole, it, it sounds like an Aerosmith album. You know, without giving too 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 much away in terms of our verdict, it it does have an Aerosmith sound, mm. and a lot of that has to do with Steven Tyler's there. You know, so obviously anything he's doing, you're yeah, gonna associate yeah. it with Aerosmith. It's gonna have that sound. So. Um, and you're like you're eighty percent of the way there with this album as far as sounding like Aerosmith, and obviously the two members leaving. But it's an interesting point in their career because it reminds me, like I start to hear elements for the first time in this album that sort of um, Aerosmith is a studio. Magic Band, not, and maybe not Studio Magic, but like you start to hear for the first time, oh, those are these these backup harmony layers that I've never heard before, and albums like Get Your Wings, and all of a sudden this like slick production is coming in, and these songs are like, 
they're not just basic rock songs anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely um, Rock in a Hard Place, the, the title track. Well, actually, it's got a subtitle of uh, Cheshire Cat as well. <laughs> um, that song, you can start to see that they were starting to head in the direction that they would later kind of fully commit to with Permanent Vacation. Like, he's got a big sound, yeah. big production. Yes. I, I don't think it's it's not it's not there with anything that's on permanent vacation, but it definitely is them trudging down that path at least initially. Right. Um, right. But before that, that's actually in the middle of the album. Um, yeah. Let's actually start out at the opener. Sure. Yes. Which it kicks off with this uh, this song called Jail Bay. Jail Bay. Yes. Yes. And I. I enjoy this song. I think it's a pretty good track. Um, it it kind of kicks off, but I think it kind of foreshadows what you're going to get. In a way, it's kind of mm -hmm. like, we're going to try really hard to sound like Aerosmith because we're a little freaked out right now. You know? Yeah. That's kind of the vibe I get with JLB. But good rock song. Yeah. It's definitely got the, um, you know, that whole bluesy rock thing is there. Mm -hmm. You know, so so, so again, it, it, it sounds, and a large part of it's to, due to Steven Tyler's there, but it right. sounds like an right. Aerosmith song. Not a great Aerosmith song, but it, it sounds like an Aerosmith song. It's right. definitely got, like, kind of a frantic pace to it, which is which is always cool to see. Um, I've always liked the faster Aerosmith songs. Yeah, yeah, me um, too. It's, it's a good rock song. It's a good rock song. Um, you know what's funny? We go to number two, Lightning Strikes. So when I was like, I wanted to hear what the critics were saying on this album because I was so unsure of even how I felt at the beginning. I'm like, this isn't bad. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, I don't know why everybody rags on it, but everybody seems to like Lightning Strikes. I think the song blows. Um, what are, What's your thoughts on, on number two? I, um, the synths are so weird. Yeah. They have like, um, for anybody that hasn't heard it yet, there's like an organ type synth that leads into the track, and then the track fades up. So it, it almost—it's—it's it's a very odd choice, and the synths don't really fit in. Right. Um. The yeah. riff is like standard Aerosmith rhythm. It—it is—it is like you know the, what's um you know what's funny about this song too is uh Richard aka Richie Supa was one of the co-writers of this song and only this song in the album. And once I realized I didn't like this song, I was like, all right, let's dive into the writing credits. Like, was Tyler writing everything? So this guy, apparently, I don't know a ton about him, and maybe our listeners know a little bit more about Richard Supa than I do, but he helped write songs for Pink, and he helped write the song Pink, I want to say. Do I have that right? So he was one of the co-writers of the song Pink, and also misunderstood by Pink. That was a big, big album for big, her. Well, big pink guy. Big, big, big pink, pink guy, yeah. Likes the color pink. <laughs> so, I just don't think this guy Supa has really done anything I like, to be honest with you. I mean, I hate the song Pink by Aerosmith. I think it's some of the worst, worst Aerosmith. And this guy, he got into the studio. The $1.5 million budget was being spent like, you know. Like this was their lead single, too. Was it really? This was the lead single. Yes. Yep. Wow, mm -hmm. wow. Well, I recommend you listen to Lightning Strikes if you haven't. Maybe I'm being too harsh on it. Um, but we go into Bitches Brew, the next song. Love it. And this song, I think it's awesome. It didn't get very good reviews online. It's, it's got, it got a great title. Um, <laughs> I think. It, it was Final just, time of it. Great it title. Got, it's great got a song great, name, uh, great name. Bitches there's there's a lot there with like a, I don't know, like an alliteration. I don't know. It's, it's, it's cool. But the, um. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, I, I this track honestly, uh, I, I think it's one of my favorites on the album. It's I definitely it was a standout. Slick. Yeah, and I think you get your money's worth with the production on that one too. It sounded good. I mean, I was listening to it through a freaking iPhone last night, and I was like, that song had my attention. 
the first Jail Bay was alright. Lightning Strikes lost me. That song really had my attention. I'm, I'm curious to see. You know what I would actually love to see, and I don't know if this exists, but if there is a live video of them playing it with Joe Perry, because I'd love to Ooh, see I'd what like to his takes would be on on you know yeah. in terms of putting leads into that and stuff. Yeah. I don't remember. The the problem is is like there's leads on this album, but they're so again they're so buried. I, I can't recall which songs have them, which ones don't. And I've listened to it. Right, five you're or not six getting times. the iconic memorable leads that you're getting no. from other albums that Perry gives to you. Um, totally agree on that. Uh, Bolivian Ragamuffins next. Yeah, fairly. <laughs> this name's funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> Bolivian Ragamuffin. Like, all right. <laughs> it, uh, what'd you think of it? It, it works for what it is. I, I don't think it's a standout track. It's not it's not bad, it's not good, it just is. Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. I think I think anybody listening is seeing a theme emerge, you know, in it terms of start to just become Bitches Brew, I think they nailed it, but mm-hmm. I think they let you down with this one. I think they let you down with the next song, Cry Me a River. I thought that song sucked. It's 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 a well it's a cover. Oh uh, okay. yeah, yeah. Author so that that cover was actually originally done by Julie London. Um, well, there's been a few different versions, okay. but the Julie London okay. version's the, the the famous one. The one who made it famous. Okay. It's it it's not that I think it's a bad rendition of the song. I I actually like Steven Tyler's vocal performance. It it yeah. reeks of something that should be on a solo album. It doesn't seem like it's an Aerosmith song at all, even as right. a cover. Right. And then the second part is is its placement is is really odd. Mm-hmm. So because it's a cover, I mean we don't have to focus on it too too heavy, but. Basically, the next track, there's two tracks. There's one that's called Prelude to Joni, mm. and then Joni's Butterfly. This track is probably the most ambitious one on the album. It's, dude, I totally agree. And I, <laughs> I hate to be like, this yeah. song sucks, this song sucks on every album, but um, it's Aerosmith pretending to be Led Zeppelin on, on Joni's Butterfly. The Prelude to Joni is not It's like it's Sticks. Just... It's like something out of Mr. Roboto. Yeah, man. And then the voice sounds like song. the... Um, the robot character from Halo, the Guilty Spark thing, it sounds right. exactly like that. Um, and then I didn't realize on first listen that Joni's Butterfly is actually two... It, it's it's one song, but there's two different distinct parts. There's like this mm. acoustic, rhythmic part that's being Lord played. Lord of the Rings sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think once it kicks off, when it gets into the electric part, there's some promise there, but it, it's like you're asking so much... Of your listeners, because you know, essentially, the song is about with the prelude. It's about seven minutes. Yeah, and yeah. and this song was um, co-written by Jack Douglas, so he didn't help write any songs in this album. Uh, but this guy engineered some of the best Aerosmith albums. Get Your Wings, probably you know one of my favorites, as as well as many others' uh, favorites Aerosmith albums. Toys in the Attic, he worked on Rocks and Draw the Line. So. Um, I feel like he wanted to inspire them a little bit with this song. Mm-hmm. I feel like they wanted to introduce something a little more creative than the rest of the album really had. It's it's definitely, with where it sits on the album, I think they were looking at this to be, uh, like, all roads lead to, to Joni's Butterfly in this case. <laughs> well, because yeah, it's, yeah. it's right, I mean, if you look at the um, the way that it's listed out, it's right at the beginning of the second side. You know, so right. and, and usually like you, you want to end the, your first side with a big track, and you want to begin the second side. Right. At least that's the way it was with, with you know record layouts and whatnot. And I, I think they thought they had something bigger than what it was. Again, there's some good ideas there, but it's it's yeah. a weird track. It could I think I think you're right. It could have been a cool song, and it could have been a good moment in the album. But they've already lost me at um, Bolivian Ragamuffin. It's when I got off the bus. <laughs> you know, I wasn't impressed by Crimey River. <laughs> wasn't impressed to the prelude. 
Joni's Butterfly just uh, doesn't do it for me. And unfortunately, I don't think they ever really capture the magic that they had in song number one. You know, it, the closest they get to it is, I guess, Rock in a Hard Place. Yeah. It's pretty cool, you know. Um, but it's just not that memorable to me. And I mean, if we, if we look at some quotes, like the quote from Joey Kramer, he said, the record doesn't suck. He, he wrote that in his autobiography in 2009, um, a story of hitting rock bottom at the top. He says, there's some real good stuff on it, but it's not a real Aerosmith record because it's just me, Steven, and Tom Hamilton with a filling guitar player. It's Jimmy Crespo doing the guitar work. So the way he says that, <laughs> the, the record doesn't suck, is yeah. kind of, he gets it. I think everybody I think it's gets fair. It. I think they must have been whacked out on drugs on this album. The next album, Done With Mirrors, you know, yeah. if, if we want to take that at face value. The album cover is just fucking ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's like a spinal tap, Stonehenge in the sky. Um, another another it's, way they misspent that $1.5 million. Yeah, it's, it's like this like faded blue. Um, we're going to, when we post this up... Probably on YouTube. We'll definitely put it on the Instagram. We'll put it. We'll put a picture of the album cover. But it's it's not, it's not by any means a cool album cover. No, it's, it's very it's very good. dated looking. Yeah. Uh, very just kind of. I would. I do like that variation of the Aerosmith logo. I would like to see that on like a white. Yeah, top yeah. The, in the, the uh, you're like you're hanging with your boys. Like a vintage T-shirt. Yeah, you yeah. show up with that thing on. You're kind of good to go. But yeah, it's, it's almost it's in a sense of irony, you know. But but yeah, yeah. The, the logo itself is not the logo, but the uh, the cover itself is is, is an odd choice. Right, um, right. The title track "Rock in a Hard Place," you know, as as I, as I mentioned earlier, I think you can see a lot of the ideas that they would later solidify. Um, right, it opened the door yeah. for that bigger sound. It really did. And when you look at albums that happened like Nine Lives and Pump and all these other albums that had a distinct production quality. Because, I mean, dude, like, their albums before this one were kind of produced by shit, like, shit for the most part, you know? Like, yeah. They sounded like a real rock band in a room, which I love and respect, but at the same time, they never had that, like, studio gloss, you know? No, the, yeah, the 80s for Aerosmith was, was, was the time, like, that's when, that's when they got that big sound. And there's such a, a, a marked difference between what the 70s were for them and what these, even an album like Toys in the Attic... Yeah. Doesn't compare to the to the uh, the production that's on like a pump, you know. It's yep, it's just yep. it's night and day. But but rock and a hard place, you can start to see it. I can't remember. It, I might be getting confused with Jig is up. One of them had horns on it, and one that became is, a big staple of Aerosmith later yeah, on. One of them is the really long drawn out blues song that just didn't convince me of anything. And I think that is Jig is up. I think that was the one where I was like, I can see what you're doing here, but it's it didn't sell me. I think it was Jig is up. Mm -hmm. But I heard elements in that song of other Aerosmith songs that were later to come that were actually good that I do yeah. like. If, if it's Jig is Up that I remember correctly, like, the funny thing about this album is I would hear things and I'm like, oh, they later they later expanded on that idea and wrote Ragdoll, or they later, mm -hmm. you know, expanded on that idea and wrote something else I like. So this album was a starter of, of in ways, you know, it was a starter to, like, what they were going to do next in their careers, but... Definitely a pivotal moment, definitely an odd moment in their career. Yeah, I, I know a lot of the people um, that reviewed the album at the time, they felt that the record was more of the same. You know, mm -hmm. because cause you got to figure, this album came out in 82, and mm -hmm. Aerosmith had been going since the early 70s, so th there was probably a desire uh, to see them shift a little bit, especially when you, when you think of what was coming out in the 80s. Uh, with like you know a Motley Crue type band or Iron Maiden or Judas Priest, like the sound w was getting a lot flashier, right. and they they had always had this this rock blues jangle thing. 
Right. And you definitely hear it here. It's definitely in full effect here. I mean, uh, I'll give it up to Jimmy Crespo. He's a, he's a great Joe Perry impersonator in terms of impersonating the style of riffs. Yeah. You know, at the yeah. very least. He did a pretty good job. I will give him that. So, But then uh, we end with Push Comes to Shove. Um, not a super notable track. There's some really right. weird vocal choices in the beginning. There's like, I don't know if it's Steven Tyler or somebody else singing, but there's this weird vocal effect right at the beginning. Yeah. With some call and response type thing. It, it Do you remember, lost me. Do you remember the last song on Permanent Vacation called The Movie? And not, not, I, 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 I would probably know if I heard it, but I haven't listened to Permanent Vacation in a it's little like, bit, so. It's super drawn out and super atmospheric, I guess, and it's actually a good song, and I feel like, but I feel like normally Aerosmith, like, they don't nail it on the last track. Um, I don't know what made me think of the movie, but I think it was when you mentioned, like, the, the weird voices and stuff. It's kind of one of those songs. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, so, I mean, all in all, um, it's it's a very quick listen. the The album I want to say clocks mm -hmm. in at about forty minutes. Forty minutes, yeah. So it's that, uh, it's not bad. I've I mean, it's a short Aerosmith album. Yeah, and in prepping, know, all things considered, in in prepping for this, I mean, I started listening to it three days ago, and I've been able to listen to it about six times now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a quick listen. It's it's super quick. So so you know if it's something you're interested in listening to, you're not going to spend a lot of time on it, which is which is nice. Right. Um. Right. But but this kind of brings us to our verdict in terms of whether or not it's worth listening to. So so Brando, you know, if you yeah. want to take this part, mm. yeah, is it worth listening to? Uh, and we can do a one through ten. You know, and then also yeah, we'll some score it. It. we can score it for sure. Um, I didn't have a bad time listening to this album. You know, I think the critics were a little too harsh on it. You know, uh, just to, to quote a few, Greg Prado of All Music said, "Aerosmith doesn't possess the magical chemistry of their '70s classics without Perry and Whitford." Okay, I can agree with that. But the band could still rock out, producing their most studio-enhanced and experimental record up to this point with a few pleasant surprises. Like the psychedelicized Joni's Butterfly, <laughs> so uh, you know uh, clearly we're on the same page as these critics with this conversation. I mean, I love Aerosmith enough to listen to it. I would listen to it again. Um, it has its moments. Yeah. Is it a great cohesive album? Definitely not. You can tell that there were probably struggles to get it made. There were probably mm -hmm. arguments left and right. You know, the departure of two of the main staples of Aerosmith mid recording. And this was, uh, to, to to my knowledge, like in terms of. Steven Tyler's drug addiction like this it was like at its absolute peak here in terms of his heroin usage and whatnot so the, yeah. the fact that this even got completed is is impressive in and of itself um mm -hmm. so yeah but but if you had to if you had to put it on a one through ten scale yeah what what would you what would you rate it <sighs> rock in a hard place I'm going five point eight out of ten. So that's that's where I'm at. Five point eight. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, personally, I I give it a six. Um, <laughs> All right. Yep. So, just just yep. point two off. Total upgrade. Yeah. Uh, so it's not a bad album. In in fact, there's actually worse Aerosmith albums with the original lineup. Um, just push play. <laughs> for instance, oh, man. you know it already so, made all their money by then, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so there's definitely, um, you know, J just push play. I would say is, is a worse album. Honking um, on Bobo. Well, Honking on Bobo was a blues covers album, so yeah, I mean, yeah. you could compare it. I, yeah. The the most recent one, I only listened to about half of the, the most recent Aerosmith record, but I even think this might have some better material on that one because that one seems like a lot of recycled ideas. Um, 
Yeah. It's worth a listen if you're a fan. It's definitely not the album I'd reach for. I wouldn't, you know, like Brando, I wouldn't mind listening to it again. Um, but I, I don't think it deserves to be a panned album in the sense that if you're getting into Aerosmith, you should shy away from it. So it's it's not an embarrassing record. Pulling it out of the panned catalog. Shouldn't yeah, it I, I don't think it should be I don't think it should be critically panned. Yep. It's um it's worthy of its place. I, I consider it an Aerosmith record. I mean, you got three-fifths of Aerosmith there. Would you, would you say we found a diamond in the rough on this one? Or would you say that we're in a rock and a hard place? Uh, <laughs> you saw what I tried I, to do there. Yeah, I, yeah, I would lean towards diamond in the rough. I, I don't think it, it it's quite a diamond, but it's 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 something. It's it's not bad. It's not great. It it's, just kind of is, and, and, and that works, you know? Yeah, I, yeah I, I can agree with that. I can accept that. I think everything before it was... A little better. This could have been a lot worse. Is kind of mm-hmm. my take on it too. Yeah. All right. So that's that's the first episode. So you know, we certainly hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, we're definitely going to refine it as we go. So we might add right. segments. We might take out segments. But special guests. Special guests. More definitely. Spinal Tap impressions. Yeah, definitely more need to happen. <laughs> that, that's a that's a big thing with Brando and I, so don't be surprised you know, if you hear some smiles. The, the song Prelude to Joni is, is just nothing. It's just uh it's raga. <laughs> <laughs> so um so we have a huge list of albums. Um we're gonna try to get two episodes out a month. If for some reason you guys feel like there's an album that we're missing or we're not covering or you wanna see because we might have it planned for later, feel free to let us know. Um hit us up. Hit us up. We have the Twitter we have Instagram, uh, YouTube is probably coming. We're definitely on Facebook. My face, your face. <laughs> just, 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 just send it all over. Um, what we'll probably do is we will probably announce the albums a couple of days before, just so in case you guys want to listen to it out there yeah. before listening to the episode. Yeah. And uh, we'll probably announce those on Instagram. So get the hype train going. Tell your friends, Pan Podcast. Here it is. Thank you for tuning in.